morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. Welcome to our Resurrection Day celebration. This is the most important day in the Christian calendar. This is the day that Jesus Christ separated himself from all the pretenders because there are a lot of people over the course of human history who have claimed to be special in the matter of the spiritual life. One that comes to mind is David Koresh, and uh, he had this cult called the Branch Davidians, and eventually, I mean, people worshipped him. He said that he was Jesus Christ and he was the Messiah, and people followed him. And he had sex with multiple women. He had multiple wives. He had sex with children. You know, those are a couple of things that are pretty much a clue that the guy's not Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ didn't do any of that kind of stuff. But it's just funny. There have been all these people over the course of history who have claimed to be special spiritually, and yet none of them have come back from the dead. But Jesus Christ did. And that's not even something that we comprehend mentally. Have you ever seen anybody come back from the dead? I'm talking to you. Have you? I haven't. So just to even wrap our heads around that idea is pretty amazing. That's what this day is about, Resurrection Day. Friday, crucifixion day, and by the way, Jesus Christ was not crucified on a Friday because he was in the grave three full days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so the crucifixion had to happen on a Wednesday, and I, you know, I, I wonder why that is. Well, we live in Satan's kingdom, and of course he would counterfeit or distort what the Bible says to create confusion So that we say, well, the Bible must be wrong because if he was in the grave three days, then how could it, how could he be crucified on Friday? Good question. But that's neither here nor there. Welcome to the Resurrection Day celebration. Now, why did God create Barah Ministries? He created this ministry as a spiritual home for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you're in the resident congregation, or in the non-resident congregation, this is your home. We'd, we'd prefer that you were in the resident congregation because one of the great things about going to church is you get together with other people who mistreat you and you get to use unconditional love and forgiveness and grace. How many people have been turned off to God because they went to a church and Jane was mean to me and so I'm not going back to church. So a human being is mean to you and then you turn off to God. But there's no reason for you to do that. So here at Barah Ministries, we worship the person that we celebrate today. And I wanted to share with you all of the titles in the Bible that are used to describe Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, that would take the whole hour and a half. So (laughs) so I'll just share about 10 or 12 of them with you. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the Great I Am. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Word. He is the Light of the World. He is the Way. He is the Redeemer. He is the Truth. He is the Son of God. He is the Life. 
He is the Son of Man. He is the Shekinah glory. He is the living bread. He is the uniquely born one. Typically, we hear that as the only begotten Son of God. He is the door. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And there are many more titles for this Lord whom we worship. Now, at the foundation of the Christian faith are two things. First, Jesus Christ. Psalm 118 verse 22 says this, the stone the builders rejected. And that's an analogy, a metaphor to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone of a building holds up the rest of the building. And the weight of our lives rests on the Lord's shoulders. And again, whether you know that or not. Second, at the foundation of Christianity are these amazing facts. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, the Apostle Paul, deliver to you believers in Christ as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins, according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried three days in the ground, and then he was resurrected from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. So when you think about Christianity, that's what you ought to be thinking about. It's Christ. He comes after you. You don't seek him. He presents to you through somebody the gospel message, and he offers you a chance to be saved. Do you want to be saved or not? You get to say yes or no. If you say yes, the next thing is growing grace and in the knowledge of the Lord through the study of his word. And then the intimacy with the Lord comes through prayer. So that's the sequence. Really simple. Not complicated at all. It's not a bunch of rules. It's not a bunch of rituals. It's not a bunch of traditions you know, things you do to make yourself seem spiritual or make yourself feel good about yourself. It's just very simple things that God has presented this program to us, and we get a chance to be part of it. God has presented uniforms to us, two uniforms, a white one and a black one. You get to pick. His uniform is the white one. You want to be on his team? Put on the white uniform. You don't want to be on his team? Don't do a thing, because we're born with the black uniform on. It's that simple. Jesus died and came back to life. That's what we celebrate today. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected from the dead on the third day. He he died and came back to life. He is resurrected from the dead. He is risen. In Job chapter 19, verse 25, Job says, As for me, I, Job, know that my Redeemer The Lord Jesus Christ lives, and at the last, he will take his stand on earth. Right now, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. But in the future, he's going to come back for us. And he's going to do two, he's going to come back for us twice. Come back for us twice. He's going to come back for the church age believers. He'll do that in the air. And when he comes in the second coming to save the Jews from destruction, He will put his feet here on the earth. God the Father is the planner of divine history. Sin ruined our relationship with him. 
everybody in this room, everybody listening, listening to this message at some time in your life has committed a sin. The moment you do, you break the relationship with God. But worse than that, you were credited with Adam's sin when you were born. So from your birth, you were not on God's side. That's what sin does. Sin is death. And it's the death of the relationship with God. Adam's first sin and our personal sins created a barrier between God and us that made it impossible for us to have a relationship with God the Father. Imagine that. Imagine that you did something that was so egregious, that was so horrible, that a friend of yours said to you, I don't want to have anything to do with you ever again. You are dead to me. Imagine that. And then about a day later, the friend says, I'm going to die for you. That's what God the Father did. When our relationship was broken with him and it was impossible for us to repair it, God the Father did it. Because even though he owed us nothing, he developed a plan to rescue us from our self-imposed fate, eternity in the lake of fire. Because when you sin, that's in God's program, that's the fate that you deserve. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, though, says this. God the Father demonstrates his unconditional love toward all mankind. God loves you unconditionally. God loves you with no conditions. What does that mean? He requires nothing of you. You don't have to do anything to impress him. You got any friends like that? You got any friends that you don't have to do anything to impress? No, you don't. Every one of your friends is judging you all the time. God is not. God the Father demonstrates his unconditional love toward all mankind in that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, our status at physical birth, God the Father sent his son, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, to die a sacrificial death for us. The Lord, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, voluntarily took on the task recommended by God the Father, to save you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, And Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross. What does that mean exactly? It means that God the Father directs his wrath towards sin. And if you have ever committed a sin, he will direct that wrath towards you, except, that Jesus Christ stepped in, and he endured the wrath of God the Father for you. That's what it means that he bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to the sovereignty of sin and so that we might live to the standard of absolute righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. If God the Father's plan for his creatures could be named with one word, it would be love, unconditional love. There is no person who has ever come to earth who can say, I'm not loved because God loves you. And many times human beings don't. You know, they say, well, I'm in love with you. And then the next week, I'm out of love. I've fallen out of love with you. Nothing good happens when you're falling, by the way. 
But God is never that way. He loves you no matter what. Oh, but excuse me, pastor. Yes, I killed 5,000 people. I bet God doesn't love me now. He does. Okay, great. I'll go kill another 5,000. No, I don't think that's the point. The point is that when somebody loves you unconditionally, they're not requiring anything of you. Does God want you to kill people? Absolutely not. And you don't want to kill people because you go to jail for doing that. But God loves you all the time just the way you are. I mean, how many times do we not come to prayer because we have something going on in our life which we know God wouldn't approve of and we're too embarrassed to go pray to him? That's ridiculous because he doesn't look at us like that. That's how you look at yourself. Can you forgive yourself? That's the key. So, love is the title of God the Father's plan. Unconditional love. In John chapter 15, verse 13, even Jesus says this, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for each of you, whether you realize it or not. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9 say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy, and what is mercy? Refusing to give you what you deserve because of sin. Because of his great mercy has caused us believers in Christ to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? Or Rory, are you one of those born agains? Yeah, I am. What does that mean? That means that we're born physically alive and spiritually dead, and if we want to go to heaven, we have to be born again, the spiritual birth. God the Father causes us believers in Christ to be born again, the spiritual birth, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus Christ is the one who paid for the possibility of us being born again. 1 Peter 1, verse 4. So that we, believers in Christ, might obtain an inheritance. You are an heir. If you're a believer in Christ, you are an heir to everything that Jesus Christ is an heir to. So that we might obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away on deposit for you in heaven. Once you become a believer in Christ, you cannot lose your salvation under any circumstance. Why? Because you didn't do it. God did it for you, and God never changes his mind. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. You believers in Christ who keep on being protected. Notice the continuing action. Keep on being protected by the divine power of God, which is called omnipotence, through faith in Christ for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. We're saved, but... The significance of us being saved as believers in Christ will not be clear to us until the last time because we got a lot of good stuff coming. 1 Peter 1.6, in this, you keep on greatly rejoicing. You ought to be ecstatic, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. This period of time that we're on earth is the worst period of our eternal lives. It's horrible. And... We're given trials to make us tough, 1 Peter 1, 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than perishable gold, even though tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.8, And though you have not seen Jesus Christ face to face, you love him unconditionally because he is precious. And though you don't see him now, but believe in him without seeing him, you keep on rejoicing with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Yes? Pastor, how can I love somebody I've never seen? Check out one of your dating apps. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people that have fallen in love on dating apps, never talk to a person. They're text messaging them and saying they're having a conversation. Text messaging is not a conversation. And falling in love with people they have never met, it's crazy. I am so bummed that I didn't live in that generation. Amen? Because I could have created some havoc. <laughs> I had to actually call people, take them out, spend money. It's crazy. And now it's just so easy. So easy. First Peter 1 Peter 1.9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith in Christ, the salvation of your souls. Unbelievers consider what Christians believe as ridiculous. We believe in a guy who died and came back from the dead. And we're betting our eternal lives on a person who said that he died and came back to life. We're considering that to be true. That's something that's so unbelievable, it seems ludicrous. But luckily, in today's lesson, we will learn this. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord Jesus Christ does not ask his believers for blind faith. I can't tell you how many times... People have said that to me. Oh, well, you know, I don't have blind faith. I can't just believe in something by blind faith. Okay, well, critics of Christianity accuse believers of trusting Jesus Christ on blind faith. But we don't. Why? Because there's no such thing as blind faith. Sensible human beings place their confidence in the object of their faith after a thorough examination. I would never let a doctor perform surgery without checking his track record. Would you? I'll put my faith in the doctor, but I'm going to check it out first. The Lord doesn't expect blind faith from his followers. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says this, To the first century disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, he also presented himself alive after his suffering on the cross by many convincing proofs appearing to them over 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. In today's lesson, we'll learn how the Lord inspired confidence in his believers after his death on the cross. All right, well, that was a long introduction. Let's hear some music. Christians celebrate today. We celebrate Christ. We celebrate his death. We celebrate his resurrection. The day of the Lord's death on a cross was a day of great suffering for the Lord and his disciples. Imagine what they went through seeing him die. Imagine the hopes, the dreams, and the relationship that seemed shattered by a great injustice. As Pontius Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds in Luke chapter 23, verse 4, I find no guilt in this man, Jesus the Christ. We feel for the suffering of these first century believers. 
June Murphy encourages those of us faced with suffering in her song, When You Suffer. If the world comes to hate you, remember it hated me first. I came to seek and save the lost, not to condemn or hurt. If you are persecuted, you should not consider it strange. Remember what I've done on the cross, my perspective you can gain. When you suffer, suffer for my name, consider it an honor. of God enemies you will gain learn not to take it personally for it me they take aim so chalk it up as part of the price you pay for being mine you can become an overcomer when your power source is divine For my shearers, let there be no doubt that I was separated from my father for three dark hours on the cross. Do not forget the privilege, the privilege of counting the cost.
Jesus' death was necessary, but it's not the only thing we celebrate. Let's listen to what makes our joy full in the song, Celebrate Jesus. Yes, Lord, we celebrate your goodness tonight. Come on.
I was, just, you know, I was just going to talk about that. When I get to heaven, I'm going to hang out with Don Moen a lot because the boy can play some piano and he's got some great songs. But, you know, I just, you know, as a pastor, I just imagine that one day you guys are just going to all get up and just start singing. And that's my great hope. That, that song is so easy. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. He is risen. He is risen. The resurrection of the Lord. I mean, it's three verses, really. And I'm just, you know, I'm black. I don't know that you guys knew that or not, but I'm black. And black people like music, amen? Right, so I'm just hoping that one day one of you just gets up and breaks out in prayer and just starts clapping like crazy, and then that becomes the way we do songs. Because I'll tell you what, I mean, June Murphy, who wrote a lot of the songs that we play, isn't here anymore, but... Every Saturday when I'm doing a lesson and I pick out one of her songs, I call her and I sing her song to her and and blow her as much grief as I used to blow her when she was here. And I enjoy that part of Saturday, (laughs) Just, just singing and enjoying it. So one day, if you guys could get a conspiracy, and then while I'm sitting here not expecting anything, you could just get up and start singing. That, make sure you have an ambulance out front because I'll have a heart attack and die right at that moment. But that would be wonderful if that ever happened. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who voluntarily suffered to make a way for all creatures to have a relationship with you. Thank you for sending him to tear down the barrier of the dividing wall that separated us from you because of the enmity caused by our sin. Thank you for giving God the Holy Spirit as a guide who leads us into all the truth. Thank you for allowing God the Holy Spirit to make the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord as real to us as if we had experienced it ourselves. And as we celebrate the resurrection today, Make it a real experience for us. Help us to experience the power of the Lord's resurrection, not just intellectually, but actually. Make it as real to us as if we had witnessed it with our own eyes. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord Jesus Christ does not ask his believers for blind faith. The Lord Jesus Christ does not ask his believers for blind faith. Well, as I look at the people in front of me on this Resurrection Sunday, and the place is packed, amen? Amen. And as I think about the people the Lord is bringing to this message who are not in front of me, people in Africa, people in Europe, people in China, people in Japan, people all over the world who are closet listeners to Barah Ministries, I don't know your life. I don't know your struggles. I don't know your pain. I don't know your dreams. And I don't know your spiritual status. You may be so deceived by the kingdom of death and darkness that you are blind to your spiritual status. What I know is you are either a believer in Christ or you are not. It's black and white. There's one or the other. And I know that that's your choice. And I also know that God cared enough about you to prepare this message for you today. And he's using me as the mouthpiece 
for this message, which is custom made for you. And I pray today that you concentrate on this message and you let it soak in and you let it be meaningful to you because you are bombarded every day with messages that are completely meaningless. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, the things are totally meaningless. I was on Facebook this week looking at uh, a pastor and I, I, can, I could be wrong, but I think this guy is in Africa. And there was a, a lady, uh, and you don't know whether it was a lady or not. You don't know whether, you know, because people post phony names. But anyway, the name was female. And she was spending her time talking about all the things that are wrong with pastors and wrong with the Christian church and, and how, you know, oh, resurrection day are you going to mix in the pagan message of easter with resurrection day and if you're a pastor you shouldn't be going before people unless you know everything and this morning in my my own prayer says it just hit me that what has that got to do with getting an intimate relationship with god what does dueling bible verses have to do with having an intimate relationship with god there's no more important thing that any of us could do than having an intimate relationship with God. We get 168 hours a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How much of that time is dedicated to getting to know the person who created you? Now, guilt reaction, ah, not much. That's not the point. Because guilt as a feeling or guilt as a fact doesn't matter. What matters is what are you going to do from here? Do you care about having a relationship with the person who created you? Relationship. Not a religion. Right? Not not that, which does nothing. Not this. You need to see all the athletes doing that. Right? And, And don't get me wrong. God does care about football. And he does like the teams that I like. He just never lets them win. (laughs) But your spiritual status actually matters because you're a spiritual being. And it matters. So God wants you to take in this message today and let it seep deeply into your soul. My prayer is that God gives you spiritual eyes to see for this two hours, spiritual eyes to hear, a spiritual heart to feel this message. Because in nearly a quarter of a century of biblical teaching and over three and a half decades of biblical study, I come to each Bible study with a spirit of inquiry as if I know nothing. Lord, what do you want to teach me about yourself today? If you've got a relationship with another human being, that's the same way you need to approach that relationship. There are people who have been married for 30 years. The person they're with today, 30 years later, is not the person they were with 30 years ago. That person has changed. But how many people just take that for granted? That that's the same person that they married whenever they married them? How many of those relationships are broken 
because of that familiarity. Instead of coming to the relationship every day with an inquiry, hey, who are you today? What's important to you today? How have you changed lately? And it doesn't have to just be a romantic relationship. It's every relationship. I see parents doing this with kids. Parents lock into a viewpoint about their kids and think the kid isn't changing. Kids lock into a viewpoint about their parents. Oh, you're whack. And don't take into consideration that the parent may be changing. We take things for granted in this life. I read the same words over and over and over and over again as I prepare lessons. I go over the same verses over and over and over over again. But you know what? They're new to me every morning. And every time I look at them, they're saying something different to me. Because you can't tap God out. This is the Resurrection Day celebration. And most Christians experience this celebration intellectually. They know the biblical account of the Lord's death and resurrection from the dead. They've heard it many times. And many will say after this lesson, well, there was nothing in the lesson that I didn't know. And perhaps they'd be right. But did they experience the lesson? Because if this was just about knowledge, PhDs would rule the world. PhDs are really smart and they have a lot of knowledge, but they don't rule the world because the world isn't ruled by Knowledge is ruled by experiences, actions. And God doesn't expect us to just study the Bible, check the box, and go. He teaches us, and then we go out into life and experience what he's teaching us. We want to love unconditionally, and then somebody hurts us, and then we don't. And then we get to stop and reflect, well, why don't I love this person unconditionally? Well, they hurt me. I don't have to do that. That's what we do. And then we keep learning and we keep getting a perspective. Wait a second. Okay. Did did I think I was going to be the only person in life who didn't get hurt? I watched The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. You guys ever watch that program? And it's so funny to me. You didn't you didn't answer. And and I get that. I get that. You you don't have the courage to admit stuff like that. I get it. But it's so funny to me how all the people on this show are always talking about, well, I don't want to get hurt. Then what are you doing on this show? What do you think is gonna happen to you on this show? You're gonna get hurt. Anytime you get in a relationship, you know what the first thing that happens is in the relationship? You get hurt. If you don't want to get hurt, don't get in a relationship. And is that going to keep you from getting hurt? No. We, we just hold these things in our head that are just so strange. Well, Christians want to hear new things when they come to church because they get familiar. They reject repetition, and they fail to experience the word of God, making knowing not enough. Don't let that happen to you today. Not today. You're invited on a journey in time where you can choose to feel what first century disciples of Jesus felt. To imagine what they went through so that you experience it yourself. 
letting today's lesson wash over you, touching every one of your senses, if only for a moment. Here's the challenge. Imagine someone you have loved deeply who has died. Imagine someone you have loved deeply who has died. How was it when you heard the news? What did you feel? What did you think? What did you experience? One of my classmates at Northwestern died yesterday. She was a doctor, 68 years old, breast cancer surgeon. And I knew her okay. I I knew her in passing. I didn't know her very well. But when I heard the news, what do you think I was thinking? I was thinking, damn, I better go read some obituaries to see if I'm in it. Because a lot of my friends are dying now. That stuff hits close to home. I went to my 50th high school reunion, and it was nice to see all the people that I saw. But what was even more interesting is the people who weren't there people that I loved in high school, people that I valued, and they are gone. They're not here anymore. And I'm wondering where they are. I mean, there are only two places, heaven and the lake of fire. And I'm wondering if I'm ever going to see them again. So I think you know what I'm talking about. Death in the human realm seems so final. Perhaps we'll never see the person again. It's so painful. And unfortunately, as the days pass, the pain increases. And often the grief is absolutely unbearable. There's a hole in our hearts. And often there's nothing to fill the hole. So it was with the Lord's apostles and disciples. I have a friend who died three years ago. And what I wanted to do was call her daughter and just express how, how sad I am about that. It's three years later, I've not called her daughter. I can't get the words to my mouth. I was so close to her and loved her so much, and I can't even get the words to my mouth to say anything to her daughter. And her daughter knew that we were really, really, really close. Can't even get it to my mouth. Serenella, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Can't even get it to my mouth. Cannot wrap my head around the fact that she's not here anymore. Well, that's the same thing that was happening to the Lord's apostles and his disciples. Most of them witnessed his death, the worst death in human history, crucifixion. And it was devastating for them. The rudder of their lives was ripped away. They saw him breathe his last breath And they were so overcome with grief, they couldn't even think. And I don't know whether you've ever had that experience of watching somebody breathe their last breath, but it is sobering. Well, if you were there in the first century, what might you be feeling? All the hopes, all the dreams, three years of seeing this unbelievable person do these unbelievable miracles with your very own eyes the hope for a brilliant future, the hope that he was going to free Israel from the captivity of of the Roman occupation, all gone in a single breath. Now, all four of the men who wrote accounts of Jesus' life on earth 
gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, agree and confirm that Jesus died on the cross. Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 to 60 say this, When it was evening, there came a rich Jewish man from Arimathea, a member of the Council of the Sanhedrin, the group who was behind crucifying Jesus Christ, a man named Joseph, who himself had also become a secret disciple of Jesus Christ, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-eight, And Joseph went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. That was really an unusual request because typically when somebody was crucified, they were a criminal and their body was just thrown in a hole. But Joseph came and asked for the body of Jesus, and Pilate ordered the body to be given to him. Why? Because Pilate felt guilty. His wife told him, you better watch what you're doing with this guy. And he didn't listen because he was all about, he was a Roman general, and he was all about keeping the peace. Just don't let any uprising happen because Rome won't like it. Matthew 27, 59. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Matthew 27, 60, and Joseph laid the body of Jesus in his own new tomb, he was loaded, which he had hewn out of the rock. And when he put the body into the tomb, he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away, protected from grave robbers. How did that feel? Like your loved one, that person I asked you to think about, Jesus was dead. Mark chapter 15, verse 37. And from the cross, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last breath. Jesus was dead. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice from the cross, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus was dead. John chapter 19, verse 30. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. It's the Greek word tetelestai. It means sins are paid in full. And when sins were paid in full from his three hours of suffering the wrath of God the Father on the cross, he breathed his last. Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus was dead. Had you been alive at the time, as a lover and follower of Jesus, you likely would have been so sick you wanted to throw up. I remember when my mom died, and I got so distraught, and I was crying so hard that I felt like I was going to throw up my liver. It was so miserable for me. You would have wanted to lash out. You You would have wanted to strike back. I remember that Right after I had finished all that sobbing and crying, I got in my car and drove, and I was so mad because all these people were driving around, and they didn't know that my mother was no longer here. And if they had known, they probably wouldn't have cared. My world had just been devastated, and the world was going on just like nothing ever happened, but something did happen. You'd want to do something, anything to keep from feeling the pain. One day passed, two days passed, three days passed, then suddenly you hear something unbelievable. You hear followers of the Lord say, I have seen the Lord. What would you be thinking? 
<laughs> are you high? You are high. You, get away from the wine bottle. That's what you'd be thinking. Because you've never seen it. You've never seen anybody come back from the dead. John chapter 20, verses 11 to 18 say this. Mary of Magdala, that's Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was from a city called Magdala. Mary of Magdala was standing outside the tomb weeping. Not unusual. Women were the first ones to the tomb. Women were actually listening to what Jesus had to say. So Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. John twenty twelve, And she saw two angels in white sitting there, Gabriel and Michael, the messenger and the butt kicker, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. John twenty thirteen, And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. John twenty fourteen, And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. John twenty fifteen. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? He said the same thing that the messengers said to her. Whom are you seeking? Well, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried Jesus away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. John twenty sixteen. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means master, teacher. John twenty seventeen. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me. She was hugging his feet. For I have not yet ascended to God the Father. In other words, I'm going to be here for a while, so just chill. But go to my brethren, the apostles and the other disciples, and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. John twenty eighteen, And Mary of Magdala came running, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told him the things that he had said to her. They were mourning and weeping and grieving, and they refused to believe her. Yeah, right, Mary, stay off the wine. It's what you would have said. If someone told you the person you love sat up in the coffin and asked, why are you crying? How long would it take for you to accept that someone you love had died and come back from the dead? It's something we've never seen. An omniscient God who knows all the knowable knew what his followers needed. Mary was distraught, his followers were distraught, and he turned their sorrow into joy. In ten separate instances, Jesus appeared to his followers to restore their confidence and to keep his word because he told them that he was coming back. And do you think they believed him when he told them that? Huh? I'm talking to you. No, he didn't, they, they didn't believe him. They thought he was a cool guy. They didn't really think he was God. Well, you know, there's some things you got to overlook when people say it. You just got to got to overlook it. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, the apostle Peter proclaimed, "Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God the Father, 
with miracles and wonders and signs which God the Father performed through Jesus in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, Acts twenty two twenty three, this man was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God the Father, and he was nailed to a cross at the hands of godless men, unbelievers, and put to death. Acts two twenty four, but God the Father raised him up again, resurrecting Jesus from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for Jesus to be held in death's power. Jesus made his resurrection from a dead from the dead a reality in the lives of believers. Now look, there are a lot of religions. There are a lot of people to believe in. The popes of Roman Catholicism, Mohammed of Islam, Joseph Smith of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, Charles Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses, John Knox of the Presbyterians, John Calvin of the Calvinists. All of these people are dead. All of these people are believed in. All of these people have provided doctrines that were to be things that taught people about God. But most of these people are false teachers disseminating false teaching that leads people away from a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that, I insulted a bunch of people in there. You know why? Because we have beliefs. And the thing you have to ask is, are your beliefs the truth? Because we all have beliefs. I can't tell you how many things I have believed over the course of my life that I found out were absolutely false. And who you are and what your character is shows up at the moment where one of your beliefs is challenged and the truth exposes that belief as a lie. What are you going to do then? I was Roman Catholic for 21 years. And all I had to do was compare the catechism to the Bible, and they were saying exactly opposite things. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me why the nun that I was in eighth grade with banged my knuckles every time I opened the Bible and every time I asked any questions about what the contradiction was between the Bible and the catechism. 21 years of that. On the track to be a Jesuit priest. And when I found out that that was a lie, then I had a decision to make. Now, what decision do you think I wanted to make? I'll tell you the decision I wanted to make. I had invested 21 years. I wanted to be right. And then I jumped into systematic theology, a legalistic discipline. 29 years in that. And what do you think I felt when I found out that was a lie? Moment of truth again. Stay there or split. I wanted to stay. Why? Because I wanted to be right. That's not what the truth is about. Those are the decisions we have to make as human beings. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm trying to enlighten you about how you need to think about things that happen in your life. We have this happen in relationships, too. You know, people are abusive to us, and we overlook it. 
we see clearly what's happening in front of us, and we choose not to do anything about it. All the time. Your choice, but I want to ask, well, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Christ. It's not a set of meaningless rules and rituals and traditions manufactured by men to keep us in slavery. If all Jesus did was die on a cross, how would he be different from the men I mentioned? He wouldn't. He'd just be another dead martyr. Paul illustrates in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 14, which say this. Now, if Christ is preached, and of course he is, and it is preached that he has been raised, resurrected from the dead, how do some among you, false teachers with false teaching, say that there is no resurrection from the dead? 1 Corinthians 15, 13. Because if, for the sake of argument, there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if, for the sake of argument, Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Amen? As Christians, the whole foundation of our faith is that Christ lived and then he died and then he was buried and then he was resurrected from the dead, and then he appeared to his followers. And when we return from the break, we'll see a few of those appearances, and hopefully it will help you realize that the Lord Jesus Christ does not want you to worship him without proof. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord Jesus Christ does not ask his believers for blind faith. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't ask his believers for blind faith. So that first part was a little long, a little longer than normal, but there's so much to say about the resurrection. Well, God the Father gave, 
Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 say this, If God the Father is for us believers in Christ, and of course he is, who is ever going to be successful in opposition against us? And the answer is a loud and resounding nobody. Romans eight thirty two. God the Father, who amid his feelings of wrath for our sin, did not spare his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, but delivered him over, that meant sent him to be killed, for all of us, how will God the Father, now, not now that we are in union with Christ as believers in Christ, not also freely give us the all things? And the truth of the matter is that God is always giving us everything. Since God the Father is willing to give, let's not be conflicted about giving. And there are a lot of people that are conflicted about giving to church. Be generous with the financial gifts the Lord has given you. You'll be supporting God's ministry so we can provide the word of God and the gospel message free of charge to people all over the world who need to hear about the Lord. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a small Christian church that has worldwide impact. And I'm blessed to be a, a deacon here because this is a place where we learn the promises of God. We learn the promises and we have faith in them. We learn that unconditional love is one of the, prob- the promises we have from God. Easy, easy for me to say. He has unconditional love that I can't say it right. As well as he has unconditional love for all the bodies apparently in the pastor's backyard. Was it 5,000 you said? That's a lot. But he also, one of the things he promises us is forgiveness. He forgives everything in our lives. Nothing we can do. Whosoever and whatsoever is forgiven. Even Zach's dancing. So that's why we don't dance. I promise we'll never see his dancing. That'll help. And one of the other things he promises us is grace. Because no work for us, we can have that unconditional love and that forgiveness. Free to us, with unmerited, just warranted access to the, to the love and the power of God. We can see in chapter in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20, actually through 22, but that's all right. I'll forgive Pastor for missing that one. For as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore, also through, through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. And chapter in verse 22 says, Who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. A pledge from God. So he does that for us. And we know it's guaranteed. It's not like when, a, when somebody in our lives promises something and they do it over and over again. God will do it and help us every time. And you can even see with the resurrection, it's a promise that he gave us. He came back. He fulfilled his promises. So you know he'll fulfill his promises with your giving at the offering. You know, when you give your money at the offering, almost the money dies to you, but is reborn in the Lord. Putting your money on the cross to sacrifice for others. And you lay down your money so that others may be reborn. So these are promises we give to everybody that come here. We'll set, we'll We'll put your money up, and it's used for the and it's used with the divine power of Christ, the, the divine power of our Lord. 
So you never have to worry about money that you give to Barah Ministries. This is a Christian church, and the, our main focus here is the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you for always supporting us and supporting our pastor. And hit it, Zach. And thanks, Deacon Denny, for a great message as usual, even though that your tongue was having some issues today. It was perfectly okay. My, my slides were having some issues too. Sorry about that. Today's Bible lesson, the Lord Jesus Christ does not ask his believers for blind faith. The Lord Jesus Christ does not ask his believers for blind faith. Sobering words for Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, which says this, And if, for the sake of argument, Christ has not been resurrected from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Can you even imagine that, to spend 24 years teaching the Word of God and then realizing all of a sudden that Christ wasn't resurrected from the dead and that I wasted all that time? Well, I don't feel like I've wasted a second. And really wish I could give more. The Lord refused to leave his believers in the dark. The Lord showed himself to his believers who were huddled in the upper room after his death. John chapter 20 verses 19 and 20 say this. So when it was evening on resurrection day, and that was a Sunday, the first day of the week. And when the doors were shut in the upper room where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. And shut means locked. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Jesus walked right through the walls of the upper room. So those of you who are believers in Christ, that's what you have to look forward to when you have your resurrection body. You will be able to go right through solid structures. Isn't that cool? You know, you guys are really dull. 
Is that cool or not? I mean, would you like to be able to walk through a wall? I would. All right. John chapter 20, verse 20. And when Jesus said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. What was he showing them? He was showing them the scars. And what are the scars? That's texture. You know, all the things that we've been hurt by in our life gives our life texture. Because there's nothing worse than somebody who hasn't been hurt. People who have been hurt have a compassion that people who have not been hurt don't have. John chapter 20, verses 24 and 25 say this, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, also known as the Doubting One, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came to the upper room. John twenty twenty five. So the other disciples were saying to Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Thomas has been bagged on throughout human history for reacting the same way we would. We would never believe that someone we love had come back from the dead. The Lord did not expect blind faith from Thomas. The Lord expressed his personal concern for Thomas by coming back to the upper room a few days later. John chapter 20, verses 26 to 29 say this. After eight days, that's a long time of grieving. After eight days, Jesus' disciples were again inside the upper room, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came in, the doors having been shut, meaning locked, and he stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Now, that's, that expression, peace be with you, may not mean much to you, but in, in Greek, it's an idiom. And it means God has nothing against you. That's a powerful message because before the cross, God the Father had a lot against us. After the cross, God the Father had nothing against us because all sins were paid. John chapter 20, verse 27. Then Jesus said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hand. Reach here with your hand and put it in my side. Wait a minute, how did he know what Thomas wanted? Oh, he's omniscient. He knows all that is knowable. He's omnipresent too. He's here with us today. So Jesus said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving but keep on believing. John twenty twenty eight. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. John twenty twenty nine. Jesus said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Now, was God bagging on Thomas? He wasn't. He was telling us the difference between his plan and our plan. Our plan is, I'll see it when I believe, I'll believe it when I see it. God's plan is, you'll see it when you believe it. Different. Thomas is like us. Christians don't believe it until we see it. Often, we don't believe it after we see it. The Pharisees didn't believe Jesus was the Jewish Messiah when he was standing right in front of their faces. And I can't tell you how many Jewish friends I have who absolutely reject it that Jesus Christ is the Jewish Messiah. And that's why I always in my lessons mention it, that he is the Jewish Messiah, because I have so many friends who are Jewish 
who tune in every once in a while. And I want them to know that this is the Messiah. And in the future, they're going to realize he is the Messiah. I want them to realize it now. Well, Old Testament scripture told these Pharisees what to look for in Jesus Christ. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He would live in Nazareth. He would be a carpenter's son. He would uh, be born of a virgin. These were all things that were obvious. Born of a virgin? How many times has that happened in human history? Once. All things that should have been loud in their heads. Well, they knew it. They weren't ignorant of Scripture. They simply didn't believe the truth. The Lord didn't expect his apostles and disciples to believe simply because they heard. He showed them that he had successfully returned from death to life. The Lord appeared to men who were emotionally spent on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24, verses 15 to 31. And while the men on the road to Emmaus were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Luke 24, 16. But their eyes were prevented by God from recognizing him. Luke 24, 17. And Jesus said to them, Hey, what are these words you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? In other words, what y'all talking about? And they stood still looking sad. Luke 24, 18. And one of them, Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who's unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Luke 24, 19. And Jesus said, What things? And they said, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, and in the sight of God in the eyes of all the people. Now, these were his disciples, and they didn't even know who he was. They're calling him a prophet. Certainly he was. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. But he was the son of God. He was the son of man. He wasn't just the son of God. He was God the son, the second person of the Trinity. Co-equal, co-infinite, and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Luke 24:20 And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him even though there was no guilt found in him. You see there were two thieves crucified on each side of Jesus. And I don't know that you've ever really thought about it. But crucifixion was reserved for the worst criminal. Is stealing that bad? Crucifixion was reserved for people who had committed a capital crime. These guys, stealing was not a capital crime. These guys didn't just steal. They killed people while they were stealing. This was armed robbery, and they were crucified for it. Jesus Christ was crucified like he was a a capital criminal, and he had done absolutely nothing wrong. He lived a sinless life. He did nothing wrong. Luke twenty four twenty one. But we were hoping, and these are the guys on the road to Emmaus talking to Jesus. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. He was going to purchase us from slavery to Rome. And indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Luke twenty four twenty two, And some women among us amazed us, shocked us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning, Luke 24, 23, they did not find his body. 
and they came saying that they had seen angels who said he was alive. Now, here's the thing. Pilate was smart enough to station Roman guards in front of the tomb because he said, here's what the Christians are going to do. They're going to steal his body and say he was resurrected from the dead. And there'd be no way for us to disprove it. So he stationed two Roman guards there. Now, if the Roman guards let anybody get in that tomb and take that body, they would be executed. That was a capital offense. And so if you read on in the Bible, you'll see that Pilate and the, uh, the guards entered into a conspiracy and made up a story about what they were going to say about how this happened. But not only was there this rock in front of the tomb that nobody could move alone, but there were Roman guards stationed there, armed Roman guards. And I don't know that you know anything about Roman history, but the Roman army was a bad group of boys. They conquered a lot of stuff. Romans, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 24, verse 24. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women had said. But Jesus, they did not see. And even though they saw that, they didn't believe the women. Luke 24, 25. And Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Luke 24, 26. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Luke 24, 27. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Luke 24, 28. And as they approached the village where they were going, Jesus acted as though he were going farther. Luke 24, 29. And they urged him, stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. Luke 24, 30. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Luke 24, 31. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Later, Jesus met them in the upper room, along with the other apostles, and Luke gives us a preview of our resurrection bodies. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 43. And while the men from the road to Emmaus were telling of the things they experienced on the road, Jesus himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. What does that mean? Peace be with you? It means God has nothing against you, exactly. Luke twenty four thirty seven. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought that they were seeing a ghost. <laughs> That's why God the Holy Spirit is always called the Holy Ghost. The, the word pneuma in Greek has nothing to do with ghost. The Holy Spirit is not a ghost. He's a person. Luke 24, 38. And Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And of course, everybody muttered to themselves, because we're human. Hello. Luke 24, 39. See my hands and my feet. See it as I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit, a ghost, doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Luke twenty four forty. And when Jesus said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
the piercings. Luke 24, 41. And while they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, they were in shock. He said to them, you got anything to eat? <laughs> Luke 24, 42. So they gave Jesus a piece of catfish. Jesus is black. Amen. It was catfish. <laughs> you didn't know that, right? Y'all going to be shocked. Look, if you've never been to Israel, Israel is hot. Israel has a lot of limestone, which is white rock, and all, a lot of heat, a lot of sunshine comes off that rock. You don't get to be light-skinned over in Israel, amen? You feeling me? Y'all going to be shocked. <gasps> uh, you're not blonde. Oh, my God, you don't have a beard. Oh. All right, I've had my fun. <laughs> so they gave Jesus a piece of broiled fish. Luke 40, 24, 43. And he took it and ate it before them. In a resurrection body, we will be recognizable to family and friends. And we get to eat. Yummy. The Lord's, mo- the Lord's was most concerned about Peter. So he got to Peter quickly. Peter's betrayal of the Lord had him completely dejected and miserable in grief. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 to 8 say this. The Lord appeared to Cephas which means rock. His name was Simon Peter, but Jesus called him the rock. Then to the 12, well, there were really 11, but that was the nickname for the apostles. There were 11 because Judas had killed himself by this time, but they had added Matthias uh, as a 12th apostle. Of course, he's, Matthias is somebody you've never heard a single thing about because he was not God's selection as the replacement apostle for Judas Iscariot, Peter, or Paul was. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 believers in Christ at one time, most of whom remain alive until now, but some have fallen asleep. Some are physically dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And he appeared to his half-brother James, then to all the apostles. And James, the Lord ha- Lord's half-brother, He had the same mom, but not the same dad, who grew up in the same household as the Lord, didn't believe in him until this appearance. You can grow up with Jesus in the same house and not know that he is God the Son. 1 Corinthians 15, 8. And last of all, as if to one untimely born, Jesus appeared to me, the Apostle Paul, also. And you remember that story in Acts chapter 9 where Paul's goal was to wipe out the Christian church and his favorite hobby was killing men, women, and children who were Christian. And Jesus knocked him off his high horse on the road to Damascus and turned the worst person in human history to the best believer in human history. Well, the Lord appeared to his disciples as they busied themselves with work to take their minds off of their grief. John chapter 21, verses 1 to 12 say this. And after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. John 21, 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others of the disciples were together. John 21, 3. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to them, 
we'll come with you also. And they went out and they got in the boat and that night they caught nothing. John chapter 21, verse 4, but when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And John 21, 5, so Jesus said to them, children, do you not have any, you don't have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. John 21, 6, Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast, and they were not able to haul the catch in because of the great number of fish. John 21, 7. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, I love John because he's always, <laughs> he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Jesus loved all the disciples, but John, John and the Lord were tight. He said to Peter, it's the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. John 21, 8. The other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, and about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. John 21, 9. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish already placed on it and bread. John 21, 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. John 21, 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many fish, the net was not torn. That's kind of how it is with God. We work our tails off sometimes to make things happen and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, God drops everything that we need right into our laps. Amen. John 21, 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Look, I didn't give you all 10 of the times that he appeared to the apostles and the disciples in the 40 days after his crucifixion, because that would keep you here until 3 o'clock. It'd be easy to go on and on, but there were many more convincing proofs Jesus offered in the 40 days after his crucifixion. And when the good shepherd has settled his flock, he went to take his place at the right hand of God the Father. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11 say this, And after Jesus said these things, he was lifted up while the disciples were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Acts Chapter 1, verse 10. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing, angels, Gabriel and Michael, stood beside them. Acts 1, 11. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, the ascension, will come in just the same way you have watched him go out into heaven. The next event in divine history is called the rapture of the church. The Greek word is exonostasis. It's the exit resurrection of the church. All believers in Christ will be plucked off the earth. And that day is getting nearer and nearer and nearer and hopefully it's next week because I got some things I don't want to do next week, and it just be glad to I just be glad to get on out of here, amen. amen. <laughs> but after my birthday, 
<laughs> I actually prayed a long time ago that God would let me die rather than be raptured because I didn't want to be one of those guys in heaven where everybody's looking at you and say, oh, you're one of those rapture guys? You didn't even die, you know. But I changed my mind about that. <laughs> anyway, he's coming back for us. And he's coming on the clouds in the twinkling of an eye. So there's this obsession that people in this age, the church age, have with the end times. Well, bad news for you is after the rapture, the earth has at least a thousand seven years left. So we are not in the end times. We are not anywhere near the end times. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're going to have nothing to do with the end times. Nothing. So you shouldn't obsess about it. What you should obsess about is getting to know the person that you're going to meet one day face to face. And you're either going to meet him as a believer in Christ or you're going to meet him as an unbeliever. And I can tell you which one of those is better. Amen? He is coming back for us. The love that Jesus has for his followers is mind-boggling. When I get emotionally in touch with how much Jesus loves me, I can't even, I can't even describe that. You get all choked up tears coming out of your eyes, and it just happens at various times throughout the week or the day where you just, you hear something, you hear a song, or you have a thought, and you realize that all the things you're saying about yourself, about how bad you are and how wrong you are, and all the mistakes you made over your lifetime, and yada, yada, God isn't thinking about any of that about you. He says, come on, sit down, talk to me. Oh, well, I don't know that I can talk to you because last week I did two stupid things. I don't really care. <laughs> Let's just talk. Can we just talk? Can we just talk about how I can help you? I'm mad at God, right? Okay, that's good. Sit down. Let's just talk. Amen? He loves us. The things the Lord has done for us go way beyond belief. It's the truth. The whole basis of our eternal future rests on Christ, and I'm believing it's true that Jesus Christ is different from all the pretenders because he was resurrected from the dead, affirming that he is God. This is my 60th year as a Christian. When I was eight years old, there was an ice cream truck that came into my neighborhood and they would give out free ice cream to attract us to the truck. And then they put us on a mail-order evangelism program. So, I, I mean, back then, it was cool. I mean, today, you guys don't relate to this. You get email. But back in my day, when I was walking five miles to school uphill in the snow, the, the great thing, the greatest thing was you got something in the mail. And these guys would send me information about Jesus Christ and then would give me a little quiz and I would get to mail it back to them and when I mailed it back to them they would send me the next lesson and I accepted Jesus Christ at his salvation offer and he became my Lord and Savior when I was eight years old and now it's 60 years later and I've traveled through the hell 
of religion, both sin and legalism. I've tried my best to stop sinning, and I've never been successful at it. I've tried my best to follow the law, and I've never been successful at it. I've tried my best to do the rules and the rituals and the traditions of men and have never been successful at it. And then I discovered God's grace. Five decades in that crap. Five decades in that crap. That's a lot of life. Did I waste my time? Nope. Because if I hadn't done that, I couldn't tell you that that stuff was crap. I could tell you it was crap, but you'd say, well, how did, did you experience it? And I can say, yeah, I did. Let me tell you the stories, how much time you got. It warms my heart that it never gets old to immerse myself in Scripture and to hear the same things over and over and over again and to be renewed by these things over and over and over again, and I wish you the same experience. What I wish is that every time you hear a Bible verse that you've heard before, that you see it a new way. I I wish that you come to life with a curiosity. I wish that you don't have all the answers and that you're seeking the truth because that's what we do here at Barah Ministries. We're pursuing truth through the Word of God. We're letting God change us. The Rory Clark you see today and the Rory Clark who was 20 years old are tremendously different people. And the things that I do today and the way I look at life is tremendously different than it was when I was 20 years old. Because at 20 years old, I thought I knew everything. And now I'm convinced I know nothing. I've been teaching for 46 years And I just feel like I'm just starting to get the hang of it. Amen? And one of the things I realize is that my teaching isn't really what matters to you. It's important. But what matters to you is what you do with the teaching. Do you hear it? Do you remember it? Does it register? And when you're under pressure, which you're going to be this week, something in here today is preparing you for a pressure you're going to feel this week. Will you remember what I said? Will you remember it so you can put it to use? So you can keep yourself calm when the false teachers with their false teaching are telling you how bad you are and how wrong you are and how you don't have and you aren't. Will you remember this? Will you remember what I said about God loving you unconditionally? I hope so. All right. We have a lot of guests today, so the closing part of our lesson is for you. What I want you to know is how to get to heaven. So this message that's coming up could be the most important thing you ever hear in your life. And this is your chance to have the most important decision, to make the most important decision that you ever made in your life. And it's a one-time decision with the result that it lasts forever. There are not many decisions you make that are made at one time and the results stand finished forever. So the closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone, anywhere, who is either undecided or confused about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants 
from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. The gospel message, the good news concerning the Lord Jesus Christ's salvation offer is for the benefit of believers in Christ because God wants you to spread the word. The Lord wants you to feel secure in your position in union with Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says this, Believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Set aside Christ as the head of your life. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope in you. What does hope mean? Hope in Greek means absolute confidence. Hope in English is weak. I hope so. You didn't know that, did you, Hope? Your name in Greek means absolute confidence. Isn't that wild? Elpis is the word, E-L-P-I-S, like Elpis Presley. (laughs) You won't forget it, though, will you? So, believers, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope, the absolute confidence of your faith in Christ that is in you. Yet give the account with gentleness and respect. When we're, as believers in Christ, when we're talking to unbelievers, we need to talk to them with respect, not contempt. This message is also, and especially for unbelievers, so that you can be saved. So whether you know it or not, you were born a sinner. That's bad news for you. The Bible says that being saved, salvation, is exactly what all humans need from the moment of physical birth. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, at physical birth all mankind were born spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. There's nothing worse than being spiritually dead. And all of us are that way from the moment of physical birth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22 tells you the penalty of spiritual death, all in union with Adam at physical birth. And that's every human being who comes to earth are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. The first death, spiritual death. The second death, death in the lake of fire. Do you know how many Christians there are who don't believe that there's a lake of fire? It's about 60% of them. Well, what does God want for unbelievers? Two things. What are they? 1 Timothy chapter 2 Verses 3 and 4. The first thing he wants is that you will be saved. 1 Timothy 2.3. This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. What God does not want for unbelievers is highlighted in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient towards you unbelievers, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire. The Lord does not want you to go to the lake of fire. There's only one way you end up in the lake of fire, and that's because you want to, because he does not want you to go there. What does he want you to do? He wants all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This immutable An irrevocable fact may contradict the thoughts placed in your head by God's enemy 
through false teachers with false teaching of religions that contends that God is always disappointed in you because you sin and that you have to work to please him. If God loves you unconditionally, why would you have to work to please him? The Bible provides a completely different perspective. The Lord gives you a written account of the absolute truth, his exact thinking in the Bible. It's not just a bunch of stories written by a bunch of guys that's out of date. It's the exact thinking of the Lord, and it has been protected by the power of the Lord from infiltration since it was created. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 say this. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, the Bible. John twenty thirty one. But these things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe in John's gospel, which is all about the deity of Christ. He says, believe 97 times just so you get it. These things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, the Lord, Son of God in human form, Jesus, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life, eternal life in his name. Do you know the truth, especially the truth about who God is as a person and the truth about what he has done to save you? Maybe you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't think he's God. Maybe you don't think the Bible is his exact thinking. Maybe you don't even think you need to be saved. Well, the Bible says all who are spiritually dead need to be saved. They need spiritual life. The Lord Jesus Christ volunteered for the task of saving them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say this. God the Father, being rich in mercy. What's mercy again? Giving you something you don't deserve. God the Father, being rich in mercy because of his great unconditional love with which he loved us all, Ephesians 2, 5, even when we were spiritually dead in our transgressions, even when we were his enemy, made us believers in Christ spiritually alive and placed us into union with Christ. For by his grace, you have been saved. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, the Apostle Paul, delivered to you believers in Christ as of primary importance, the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and he was buried, and he was resurrected from the dead on the third day according to the Old Testament scriptures. So here's the payoff. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, and he sacrificed for you personally, he had you personally in mind when he was hanging from that cross. He knew you by name when he was hanging from that cross. Because of his sacrifice, right where you sit right now, you can have eternal life, the resurrection life, by taking the suggestion in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, which says this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and everyone in your household who also believes. What does it mean, believe? Just take God's word for it, what it takes to be saved. What does it take to be saved? Believe, that's it. What do religions say? Yeah, well, you got to believe in Christ, but you got to do 20 other things. 
okay, well, if I do those 20 other things, am I saved? Yeah, maybe not. False teachers, false teaching. So heed the warning and accept the invitation of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment. It's not a future event. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. The lake of fire is a literal place, and it will be your eternal home if you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this, There is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved, except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to work to be saved. It's a free gift from a gracious God. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, giving you what you don't deserve by the washing of regeneration and through the renewing by God the Holy Spirit. The renewing by God the Holy Spirit is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the only baptism you need, and it doesn't require you to be drowned. There is no excuse for not knowing how to be saved. It's so simple. Why? It's simple for you because God did the saving for you. All you have to do is invest your gift of faith, a gift God gave to you, a gift you receive from a loving God, and place that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation, and that's the moment of eternal life for you. Do it now. There's no time to waste. All right, well, let's close with some music. King David knew what to say about our amazing God. It's one of the only things we can say face-to-face with his love. It's the word hallelujah. Let's listen to Lucy Thomas sing about it. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do Like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
Okay, I'm gonna shoot you straight. So I expected you guys to be up singing. I, I really did. You you kind of let me down. Did you talk about it? Don't talk about it. You got to do something. Zachary's back there. He's going. Nah, nah, nah. You know, he got a little Pentecostal in him. So thank you, Zachary, for that. Let's offer words of praise to our Lord that are words of encouragement for us. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus and he will make your paths straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is the God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote you at the proper time, slamming all your cares on his back because he cares for you. He cares for you is a Greek idiom, and it means that God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you for comforting us with experiences of you. Thank you for answering our prayers so that we can see you at work in our lives. Thank you for the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit who makes clear in our souls the things we can't see that you would have us believe. Thank you for forgiving us in ways that we don't forgive others. Thank you for sending your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus, the Christ, to take on your wrath towards sin on our behalf. As we go back into the world for another week, protect us from our enemies. Remind us to pray for them. Let your light shine in us for all to see so that others will wonder about the hope that is in us. Help us to share your good news with everyone we meet, one person at a time. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. I know what you mean. Amen. It's thank God this is over, right? That was two hours. My goodness. So got biblical questions? Ask the pastor at BarahMinistries.com. Pastor at BarahMinistries.com. Keep on studying the Word of God. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.